looked for the greatness and genius of America in her harbors and her ample rivers. I looked for her greatness in the fertile fields and in the boundless forests. I looked for her greatness in her rich mines and vast world commerce. I looked for her greatness in her brilliant democracy and her matchless constitution. But it wasn't until I spoke to the people in her streets, witnessed the freedom with which they live their lives, the freedom to worship, speak their minds, and still find common ground. I then began to understand the secret of America's genius and power. I want to welcome you to this year's unforgettable summer series at Northridge. If you're new to Northridge or maybe a guest this weekend, every single summer we have this, this privilege at Northridge of experiencing communicators that God is using all around the world to wake people up to Jesus. So every single weekend we'll experience different communicators with different gifts and experiences and backgrounds, all whom are making an impact for really what we're committed to here at Northridge helping people find hope. This weekend, we have the lead pastor of Freedom Church in Ackworth, Georgia. He, along with several families, actually 
sold homes and quit jobs and moved 400 miles so, so that they could fill what they felt God was calling them to do, reaching people in Ackworth. And, and God has made an impact through their commitment. They're now run over 2,000. They've seen 4,000 reached for Jesus. And, and now we here at Northridge get to experience and, and learn from the pastor. His name is J.R. Lee, and I hope that you'll give him a warm Northridge welcome. How you doing, Northridge Church? I want to... I want, to, I want to take just a second before we even get started. I want to speak into something real quick that I think is super important. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you are going to either go watch fireworks or you're going to shoot fireworks off over the course of the next couple of days? That's, that's good. I'm from Georgia, and, uh, and I don't know how it is in Michigan, but in Georgia, you can, uh, the measure of a man is based on how much money he spends on fireworks, how high his fireworks go and uh, whether or not he loses a limb whenever he shoots those fireworks off. And um, what I've learned is when I was young, I used to be mesmerized by fireworks. I mean, those of you that have kids, I have three kids, and when they're small, when they're two, three, four years old, you don't even have to buy real fireworks. Like, you can buy a sparkler. You know those sparkler things? And, uh, and they wave them things around, and they act like the Lord Jesus has returned. You know what I mean? Like, they have just gotten a new Ferrari, uh, something like that. That's amazing. And then as they get older, uh, it takes a little bit more to excite them. It takes a little bit more to impress them and everything else. And we're the same way. I mean, when I was young, I used to be mesmerized. And now, I mean, it, it takes a lot at a fireworks show for me to be like, that was absolutely phenomenal. And the reason that it takes a lot is because as you get older, it's easy, it's easy to become familiar with the fireworks. And one of the things I've, I've learned is as an outside person coming in to be able to speak into something in the life of an incredible, incredible church like Northridge, I just want to let you know this because sometimes when you're in the middle of a move of God, you can take for granted the move of God that you're in the middle of. And uh, you just need to know this. People all over the world are talking about what God's doing in Northridge. People all over the world are talking about your staff. People all over the world are talking about Pastor Brad. You have an incredible, incredible church, an incredible pastor, an incredible team. You're incredible people. And, um, and it's a real honor. It's a real honor. I'm not, just, I'm not just saying that. It's a real honor to be able to be here with you today. And before we get started, let me go ahead. I'll introduce myself. My name's J.R. Lee. I'm the lead pastor of Freedom Church, and uh, we're in Georgia. We have a couple campuses down there, and uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and acknowledge the fact some of you are already snickering uh, because of uh, the reality that I talk a little bit different than most of you. And uh, I had somebody come up to me and be like, you have the most country accent I've ever heard. And I'm like, well, then you've never been to Georgia because... Uh, in Georgia, my accent is minuscule. It is minute. It is small. But when you come up north, I mean, everybody's just like, you have the craziest accent ever. Well, that just means you've never been down there because uh, you, you, when you go down there and you hear people talk, you would just think that I would, you would think I was an insider just grown up in Northridge my whole life uh, compared to some of the hillbillies that I live with. But uh, nonetheless, it's an, it's an honor to be able to be at Northridge today. And let me go ahead and welcome all of our campuses, our Celine and Brighton and Grozeal campus, and uh, those of you watching online as well, it's an honor to be able to spend some time with you uh, over the course of this day. I gotta, I gotta dive into this message as we kick off this brand new series called Unforgettable. And as we've been planning this series, what our goal, it really has, our goal has been that 
uh, for every single person that's gonna walk through the doors of any of our campuses or anybody that's gonna sit down to a computer and watch online. Our desire is that you would be able to walk out of the room different than the way that you walked in. If you don't walk out of here different than the way that you walked in, then we've all wasted our time. And I wanna see God do something unforgettable, not just over the course of the series, I wanna see God do something unforgettable today. And so that's my prayer, that's my goal, that's my, that's my belief. I believe in advance that God's gonna do it, so I'm gonna go ahead and give him the glory and say, God's gonna go ahead and make it happen, I believe that. And so, um, so we're gonna have fun. Now, as a ground rule, let me say this before we get started again, this is the second thing. I gotta get going on this message, it's gonna be a rough day. Uh, let, me, let me say it this way, at, at my church, uh, freedom. We, uh, we have a pretty responsive group of people. The people in the audience, they're, they're not just spectators, they're participants. They talk back to me. I'll preach better if you'll talk back to me. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and this, is, this is even better than that. When people talk back to me, I tend to get excited, and so I start talking faster. And if I talk faster, that means you can go home sooner. And if you can go home sooner, then you're just one step closer to lunch. You know what I'm saying? And uh, the way I see it is lunch is from the Lord, just like breakfast, and so is dinner, and so are snacks. Uh, all that stuff is from the Lord Jesus. The Lord instituted all that, and I'm really grateful for it. And, uh, and so if you listen well, and you talk back, and you, you don't have to say amen, you say amen if you want. You can say heck yes. You can, you can insert some Michigan term. I'm not even gonna tell you what the Georgia terms are, uh, but you can, you can say whatever it is you want, and we're gonna have a little bit of fun over the course of uh, the next six hours or so while I preach, but let me, amen, amen. I, I know what you're doing. If I say amen, we'll get it down to five. If I say amen after that, we'll get it down to four, but uh, nonetheless, when I, was, when I was young, I grew up in Miami, Florida, and that's why my accent's not that bad, because I grew up down there first, all the way up until sixth grade. And while I was down there, those of you that have ever been to South Beach in that area, it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's incredible. I loved it. And then we moved to Georgia. And one thing that Georgia had that, that Miami didn't have was we had these things. I'd heard about them my whole life. I'd just never seen one. It's called a mountain. I've never seen a mountain. All I've ever seen was an ocean. Everything was flat in Miami. And then when we moved to Georgia, we had mountains. Now, if you're, from, if you're from Colorado or out west, you know that what we have in Georgia, they're not real mountains, they're like sandcastles. But, uh, but nonetheless, when you're from Georgia, those are mountains. Matter of fact, I live really close to a mountain. It's, you don't know what it is, but it's called Kennesaw Mountain. And when I used to drive past, uh, more accurately, when I used to ride past Kennesaw Mountain, my dad would be in the front uh, driving, my mom would be in the passenger seat, my sister and I would be in the back. I had heard this verse my whole life, and this verse in the Bible, it basically said that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and a mustard seed's small, I don't know anything about mustard seeds, I didn't know that you, I didn't know you could grow mustard. I thought it was something you bought from the grocery store. Uh, but, but nonetheless, it says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And I had never been able to test this theory. And uh, because growing up in Miami, there was no mountains to move. And so when I moved to Georgia, I started trying to move mountains around. I did it all the time. And uh, we would drive past, I remember I saw it the first time I drove past Kennesaw Mountain and I'm like, man, I was, I was probably 11. And I remember, 11 or 12, and I remember thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna, the, the, the Bible's true, Jesus is real, he can do it, I'm gonna move a mountain, watch this. Now I never told anybody because I didn't wanna be embarrassed if it didn't work. But I sit in the back seat and I'm, I'm gonna move that mountain. 
and, and I start like, I don't know how you do it. You just, you know what I mean? Like, you, has anybody, have you ever prayed before and God doesn't answer it right away and somebody says, well, you got to pray harder? What does that even mean? How do you pray harder? And so I would start praying harder. And what praying harder meant was I, I found myself going like this. This is, a this is a true story. I can't believe I'm about to do this on camera. Uh, but nonetheless, I used to pray and be like, dear God, I pray that. You it's kind of like the same, the same feeling that you would get and the same look that you would have if you were going to the bathroom later on <laughs> after lunch. And uh, sorry to go there, but it's, it's for illustrative purposes. I needed to make that happen. And that's the only way I knew to pray harder. And so I'd pray like, Lord, I pray that you would move Kennesaw Mountain, move it out of Kennesaw, put it in my backyard, because, Lord, that'd be awesome. Lord, you will get the glory. Everybody will know that you are God. I was trying to use every churchy thing I could. You know what I mean? Like, people will get saved on the mountain. People will give their life to Jesus on the mountain. Hope will be distributed on. I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to move a mountain. Uh, I thought that'd be awesome. And you know what never happened? The mountain never moved, not even one time. And here's what I began to realize. This is what I began to, uh, this is what I began to think in my little 11, 12-year-old mind. I began to think God can do anything except move the mountains. Now listen, when you're 11 and 12, that's not that big of a deal, right? God can do anything except move the mountains. But then as you get older, that can become problematic. Because here's, here's the way it works. What if, what if you've got an addiction that needs to be overcome? God, you can do anything except for move the mountain and the addiction that I'm facing. God, that is my mountain. I believe you can do anything, but I don't know if you can do that. Lord, I'm having some relational conflict in my life. I believe that you can do anything, but Lord, you know, you know, I'm married crazy and I'm not real sure if you can help that. Don't, don't some of you, the ones that you that aren't laughing, you are the ones that are crazy, you know? <laughs> Honey, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Just look at him and say, he's talking about you, dear. He's talking, he's talking about you. Maybe it's a financial situation. And you're like, Lord, I'm facing a financial mountain right now. God, you can do anything. But if you're honest, sometimes you begin to wonder whether or not God can do that. Maybe, maybe that's the mountain that God can't move. Just like Kennesaw Mountain was for me whenever it was that I used to pray and ask God to do it. Now, here's what I know. I know that God has the desire to change lives. I know right now God desires to change the lives of every single person within the sound of my voice. God desires for your marriage to, th to thrive. God desires for you to be able to live the life that he intends for you to live. He has the desire. But here's the question that I was struggling with. He has the desire, but does he have the power to make it happen? Does God have the power to overcome the addiction? Does God have the power to overcome my relational challenges? Does God have the power, in my case, to reach my city? Does God have the power, in your case, to reach your cities, to reach your community with the message and the hope of Jesus? Does God have the desire? Of course he does. But does he have the power to make it work? And when you struggle when you're 11 and 12 and you decide that God can do anything, but it's, it's unlikely that he can do that, it can be problematic as you get a little bit older. And that same mindset begins to infiltrate you as you progress through this thing called life. Now, I was reading in Matthew chapter 17, and in Matthew chapter, chapter 17, there's a story about, about a demon-possessed kid. Not your demon-possessed kid, it's a different one. It's a different demon-possessed kid. And this, this kid was crazy. So crazy that whenever, whenever the boy's father brings him to the disciples, they ask this question. This is great. They say, how long has he been like this? 
You, you know your kid's crazy whenever Jesus and the disciples ask, how long has he been so jacked up, you know? And the dad starts explaining that he's been this way for a long time. And they say, well, what does he do? So, well, you know how sometimes you go camping, which I don't know why anybody would ever go camping because uh, that's where you pay a whole lot of money to go live like a homeless person. I would rather, I would rather go and stay in a hotel room. Maybe y'all like camping? I don't know. I do, but it, it, preferably this a roof on my head. And, uh, and all the Lord's people said, amen, amen, amen. I just lost all the campers in the room, but I'll, I'll bring you back in. When you see a campfire, you think marshmallow. This kid would run out and he would dive into the fire. So when I see a campfire, I think marshmallow. The last thing I think is cannonball. But that's what this kid would do. He would run into a cannonball into the fire. And the kid's dad was like, dear Lord, here we go again. Let me go get little, t- little Tim. He jumped into the fire. What in the world is he doing? He's got like a burnt leg, everything else. He's foaming at the mouth. I mean, this kid was crazy. And he brings them to Jesus's followers. There was a group of them called the disciples. It was about the 12 closest followers of Jesus. And he brings them to, uh, the, the dad brings them to the disciples, to the followers of Jesus. And he's like, you gotta fix this kid. This kid's crazy, man. This kid's jacked up, this kid. I don't even, I don't know what to do with them anymore. And then what happens is something interesting. I, I don't know the, de, the denominational background of the disciples. And uh, some of them, maybe they were some of you, like some of them, maybe they came from a little bit of a Baptist background. And so they would have silent prayer requests. You ever heard those before? Uh, I have a secret prayer request that I'm not gonna tell anybody about. Would you pray that the Lord would answer us? Sure, Lord, I pray for their secret prayer request that they're too embarrassed to bring forward. Um, you know, whatever. There's their holding hands singing Kumbaya. You know that song? Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. I don't know the rest of the words to this song, Lord, kumbaya. Did we heal him? No. Still demon possessed. Then you got the Pentecostal disciples. They're like laying hands on the kid. They're, they're bringing out their flags. You know what I mean? They got their flags. They're running laps. Those of you that didn't grow up in this background, you're missing out. They got, they got people running laps, running laps, giving a prophetic word, saying how the demons got to leave whenever the name of Jesus gets entered into the equation. You know, it's, it's awesome, man. That's like my favorite. And then they look at him and they're like, did it work? No, he's still demon possessed. The disciples did everything they knew to do, but nothing was working. Maybe this was their mountain. Jesus or God can do anything, but maybe he can't do that. And so the dad gets desperate. And luckily, the disciples understand what needs to happen. And they immediately, instead of sending the dad and the kid away, they bring the father and they bring the son and they bring him to Jesus. And when they bring him to Jesus, Jesus just, he just does what Jesus does. He just changes lives. I don't know if he spoke it into existence. I don't know if he laid a hand on him. I don't know if he prayed for him. I don't know if he just commanded the demon to flee, but uh, it, it happened and it worked. And the kid was sane in his right mind and everybody was ecstatic and they were grateful. And it was amazing because Jesus did what Jesus does. And the disciples, though, they were excited about what God had done, about what the Son of God had done, but they didn't really understand why he had done it. And more specifically, they didn't understand why they couldn't do it. And so what happens is they are perplexed, and they're like, you gave us the authority, and you gave us the power 
to cast out demons and to see you do incredible things or to do incredible things in the name of the Lord. But yet when we tried, nothing seemed to work. What's, what's the deal? What gives? What do we need to do? And it says in verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus in private and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we pull it off? And I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know about you. I'll just, because I don't know about you necessarily, I'll just tell you about me in this context. There's times where I see God performing miracles in the lives of other people. And I secretly wonder why it seems as if he's not doing those same miracles in my own life. Have you ever seen somebody who is in the middle of a relational challenge? They're facing a relational mountain and you're facing a relational mountain and they've been praying for two days and God answers it and you've been praying for two years and you haven't gotten anywhere? Come on now. I know without any hesitation that at all of our camp, because right now there's people in here like, if I nod, then the person sitting next to me will know what it is that I'm struggling with right now. You know what I'm saying? So I'll just, I'll just say amen to myself. Hold on one minute. Amen, pastor. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, there are times where some of you, sorry, I told you I had to speak to my, sometimes you got to encourage yourself. You know what I'm talking about? That's a good side note, by the way. That has nothing to do with this message. Sometimes you got to just turn around and you got to encourage yourself. Sometimes it's a, it's a financial challenge and you're praying for God to intervene and it seems as if, there, there, there's, you're just, it just feels as if you're not getting anywhere. And the disciples, they want to know why it is that this is occurring. And listen to how, what Jesus says and how he responds. He replied, if you want to know why, it's because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you this, if you have faith, as small, here we go. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And when I read that, you know what I said? I, I, did, I wanted to say amen like a bunch of you just did at all of our campuses, but you know what I, just, what I said? Uh-oh, because that's that verse that don't work. Have you ever read something in the Bible and you're like, uh-oh, that's that verse that don't work. I know we're in church and you're not supposed to admit that, but sometimes, sometimes you come across a verse like that and you're like, that one's hard to understand because I, I tried to squeeze out some mountain moving all those years and nothing ever happened other than I had to go to the restroom. That's it. Amen. So I went to Israel a couple years ago, and it was the first time I had ever been. I went with a, with a great friend of ours, and he invited me to go, talked me into going. and I wasn't going to do it. And this was two years ago. Since that time, I loved it so much, I've been back three additional times, and I'm going back again this year. And while I was there, I, I learned so much, and there was a guide who was bringing us around all over the country. And they told us when we got on the bus that morning, they said, today we're getting ready to go to this place called the Herodian. I, had, I, didn't even, I didn't even have a frame of reference for what the Herodian was. I mean, it could, have been, it could have been some amazing place where Jesus was. It could have been like the Nike outlet. You know what I mean? I had no idea. I had no idea what the Herodian was. But we get there to this place. We pull up to the Herodian, and there's these two hills. And, I mean, you could, you could call them mountains. And you get there, and it's pretty interesting because there's, 
They're, they're similar in size. One's a little bit larger than the other, but the one that's a little bit larger than the other one, it almost looks like, have you ever, have you ever seen a church or a house and it's obvious where they've added on to the church or to the house? Like you can see it. This is not normally the case with mountains, but it was obvious that they had added on to the mountain. And I'm like, why does it look like they have added on to the mountain? That's exactly what I said on the bus. The guy was sitting right next to me. I said, Gila, it looks like they added on to that mountain. And she says, well, that is the Herodian young boy. I she didn't say it like that because that would have been so weird for a woman to talk that way. But, <laughs> but she said, that is the Herodian. I was like, well, what's that? She said, when Jesus was walking around on earth, the king at the time, his name was Herod. And Herod was, he was a terrible person, but he was an architectural genius. And what he was able to do was just phenomenal. Now, he was an egomaniac. And as a result, he always wanted to have the best of the best of the best of the best. He wanted to always show displays of his power. And he wanted to have another fortress. He had fortresses all, around, all surrounding Jerusalem because he was paranoid that somebody was going to try to kill him. And that way he would have another fortress that he could go to via the Underground Railroad of sorts so that he could get from one to the other with, without being killed. He was so paranoid that he would actually, as his family members, as the male family members in his life would get older, sometimes he would have them killed if he thought that they were a threat. He was a terrible person. But in this particular case, he decides to build this fortress eight miles outside the city of Jerusalem. And when he does, he gets out there and there's two mountains, the ones that I was looking at. One of them was taller, but it was not conducive for building. The other one was a little bit shorter and it was perfect. The only problem was he was such an egomaniac, he refused to build his fortress on the smaller mountain. So what he did for the next 15 years was he employed about 3,000 or so people to get shovel by shovel full of dirt and they would bring the dirt from the higher mountain, bringing it down and putting it on top of the other mountain, bringing it up. And once the other mountain was higher than the mountain that used to be taller, then he built his fortress. Now, when Jesus would teach, this is one of the things I love about Jesus, one of many, obviously, but one of the things I love about Jesus is that when he would teach, he would not teach in classrooms. That's important to me because I didn't, I, I know some of you are teachers and this is, this is, this is not on you. This is on me. I did not, I did not like school. And the reason I did not like school is because I'm about as ADD, DD, DD, DD as you can get. And so I would be, I would be just distracted all the time. And I would, I got good grades, but I never studied and I would be trying to listen. And then a, in Georgia, we have squirrels everywhere and the squirrels would run by the window and it'd be like squirrel. And I'd be distracted for 10 minutes right in the middle of a test. One time I was taking the SAT and I fell asleep and missed two sections. Uh, and then the next time, whenever I, I had to take it three times, once I fell asleep, the other time I was so distracted, I forgot to do one of the sections. It was, it was ridiculous. I, I don't know why my parents even had me, but, uh, but nonetheless, nonetheless, the Lord has used it and I'm grateful for all things. But, uh, that being said, Jesus wouldn't teach in a classroom. Jesus always taught on field trips. And so when you, when you picture those of you that, uh, most of you have never been to Israel, many of you have, but the Mount of Olives is covered with, with whitewashed tombs. And so when Jesus would be teaching to the religious leaders and he would say, you are just like whitewashed tombs, he would point. And he would say, you are like these whitewashed tombs. And they would look and there were whitewashed tombs. He was an illustrative preacher. And in this case, he says to the disciples, 
in response to their question, why couldn't we drive it out? He says, because you have so little faith. If you even have a little bit of faith, just a little bit, and he points, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and the mountain will move. Now, what he was saying was something that was so significant. He wasn't saying, and this is where it all started to make sense to me. He was not saying you can pick up the mountain and move it from one city to the next city. I can't go to the Rockies and be like, man, I think that it would be awesome to have Aspen in my backyard. I mean, that's not, that's not what he was talking about. But what he was saying is, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will have even more power and do even greater things than the most powerful and most wealthy man that had ever lived on the planet at that time. You will be able to be even more powerful than Herod. See, what Jesus wanted them to understand was is that you don't have to have all the wealth in the world to have the power of God on your life. The reality is, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and well inside of every single person that's a follower of his. And so what he's saying is great. This is great. He says, listen, listen, boys, I'm the mountain mover. You're the faith walker. You don't got to stand in hope anymore. You can walk in faith. Did you know that what most people consider walking in faith is really just standing in hope? I've had people, they'll come up to me, they'll be like, Pastor, I need you to pray that I get a job. I'll be like, man, I'd be honored to pray that you would get a job. Let's, let's pray that you'll get a job. But before we do, how many applications have you filled out? Oh, Pastor, listen, I got faith. I ain't filling out no application. I believe that the Lord can send a job into my lap. I'm like, do you think they deliver jobs in boxes? Here's your job. It's got a bow on it. All you got to do is open it up. No, listen, jobs don't come that way. I said, what I'm going to pray is that you will have the faith that will cause you to get up out of bed, big boy, and go and fill out about 25 applications. People will say, Pastor, will you pray for, will you pray for my... For my finances, I will. But I need to address something with you. When I first became a pastor, I was nervous about doing this. Now I'm just like, I might as well. Who, what am I going to do? Offend them? It don't really matter. And they'll say, I'll say to them, so, so you want me to pray for your finances? Yes, sir, I'm in a financial mess. Well, do you think maybe it's because combined you make $30,000 a year and you and your wife drive Escalades? Have you ever thought that maybe that's a challenge? Have you ever thought, maybe, ain't nothing wrong with Escalades. If you want to buy me one, buy me one. Hook me up. I will drive it. But I'm just saying, if you drive two Escalades and you make 30 grand a year, your, your payment's going to be more than your house payments should be. So you know what you need to do? You need to have the faith that is required to go to a class, cut up the credit cards, sell the cars, buy a little $2,000. You know what I'm saying? Like You got you to gotta have some faith that will walk it out. Pastor, will you pray for my kids? Because my kids are crazy. I'll pray for your kids. It'd be an honor to do it. But you know what I'm going to pray? I'm going to pray that you'll stop standing in hope as a parent. And I'm going to pray that what you're going to do is you're going to start investing in your kid. And you're going to start talking to your kid about the Lord. And I'm going to pray that you'll start speaking into their heart, bringing them to church. I I I had a woman, she told me one time, she said, This is a true story. She said, Pastor, would you pray for me? My four-year-old won't come to church. 
if you're not laughing, you're part of the problem. I said, how old? She said, four. I said, your four-year-old won't do what? I said, ma'am, your four-year-old don't have the option of not doing stuff. You pick that joker up, you do whatever you gotta do. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, I don't know what you gotta do, you, but they're four. They're not 44. Just, just, I said, just, just one four. You gotta have the faith that's required to, listen, some of you, <laughs> some of you, I, this is what I told her, I said, listen, the problem is you wanna be your kid's friend. You can be their friend now and their parent later, or you can be their parent now and then their friend later. You know what I'm talking about? You gotta choose. But you gotta have faith to take those steps. I started thinking about it in my, own, in my own life when I'm praying for God to break an addiction in my own life or in the life of somebody else. What I learned is that great stuff, mountains don't move just because you want them to. Mountains don't even move just because you pray for them to move. Mountains move when as you're praying, you're also walking in faith, trusting God with the next step of your life. You see, God doesn't, you don't gotta, listen, this is where it gets good. You don't have to have enough faith to finish. You just have to have enough faith to start. Because it, it said that the word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It's not a spotlight. It's not a flashlight. I wish it was. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? What's gonna happen tomorrow? No, it's a lamp and a light. You only get enough light to see the next step. You don't always know how it's gonna turn out. You don't always know what the future's gonna hold. But did you know what I learned? I learned that if God is the mountain mover and I am the faith walker, the reason that I can trust him with my next step is because my God is not bound by time, which means that when I'm nervous about tomorrow, I can remember that my God is already at tomorrow. He's already at the place where I'm afraid to go. He is the mountain mover. He is the one that makes it happen. He is God. I'm not, I'm not just talking about having faith in faith. I'm talking about having faith in God. See, it's good to have a goal. It's good to have a goal. It's better to have a plan, but can I show you something? Even Herod needed a shovel. You can have a goal all day long and you can have a plan all day long, but I'm just telling you, mountains don't move just because you hope they're gonna move. And addiction's not gonna be broken just because you ask God to break it one time. And you're not gonna see relationships restored because you say, you know what? I think my relationship needs to get healthy, but I'm not willing to take the steps of faith. I'm not willing to dig some ditches and to ask God to do something great by going to counseling and maybe putting down my cell phone and communicating with my wife or with my husband while I'm asking God to do what only God can do. God's going to do his part, but he's asking you to do your part by taking the step of faith. And you don't need a lot of faith. You just need a little faith. Faith the size of, the size of a mustard seed. That's all you need. The faith that's required to take the, the next step. That's, that's all you need. You know what I've learned over the years? If, if you want what God wants for the reason God wants it, you're unstoppable. If you want what God wants for the reason God wants it, you're unstoppable for the glory of God. You say, well, how, you say, well, how, do, you, how do you know that? 
Romans, I like, I like, I like this. I like this, this crowd right now, by the way. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. You know what it says? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? Listen to me. What that means is that if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter what you face relationally. If God is for you, ain't nothing going to be able to stop you. If you want to see God do something in your family, you can take the steps of faith that are required and you can pray and ask God to move the mountain and you can walk around in confidence before it even happens, knowing that it's going to happen because that's the kind of God that you serve. Our God is a mountain mover. We are a faith walker. And if we're willing to pick up the shovel and start digging, God's going to do the impossible. If God is for you, who can be against you? You either believe it or you don't. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that every circumstance is going to work itself out according to your own plan. But what it does mean is that God has a plan in the midst of everything that's going on around you. And when what God has said looks different than what you currently see, if you will trust what God says instead of what you see at the end of the day, whether it's at this life or in the life to come, you will finally be able to look back. And you know what you will say? God is good. God is trustworthy. God is God. Your faith is is only as good as the object that you're placing it in. I don't got faith in faith. I got faith in God. You you, you, you see what I'm saying? Listen, because we we don't don't understand this because I say faith in God and some of you are like, that's wonderful. The one who put the stars in the sky. Come on. The one who who put the moon in the sky. He put the water down there and he told the water how far it was allowed to go. That's crazy. He put the sun in the sky. He put, he put mountains. He, he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is God. God did all that. And he said, if I am for you, who can be against you? I'm just, here's what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's good news. Whether you're from Georgia or Michigan or somewhere in between. That means when I'm, facing, uh, when I'm facing financial difficulties, I can look back and I can remember that, that my, my, my Bible says God will meet all of my needs. Now, he might not meet all your wants, Escalade boy, but he's going to meet all of your needs. All your needs. Not, not some of your needs, all your needs. He's going to meet all your needs. But you're going to have to pick up a shovel. You're going to have to start digging. You're going to have to keep praying. You're going to have to start believing. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to take some steps of faith where you say, you know what? God is going to, he's going to heal my marriage and I'm going to walk to that Christian counselor's office and I'm going to do what they say and what they tell me to do because if I want something different, I got to do something different. I can't expect different results when I've been doing the same old thing. I know I'm married crazy, but maybe I got to do something in my own life because if I was married to you, I'd be crazy too. That's what everybody forgets. Maybe the reason they're crazy because they married you. Takes one to know one. Y'all are fun. He is God. 
I mean, I'm just telling you right now in this, in this service right now, I believe that there's people that are in this room within the sound of my voice. You know what your greatest need is? Your greatest need is not to have an increased faith in who God is and that he can move your mountain. Some of you, your greatest need, you're, you're, you're pre that. What some of you need is for the very first time to put your faith and your trust in God. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect sinless life on your behalf for 33 years. He earned righteousness for you. What that means is he did what you could not do. God is perfect, you are not. And if you think you are perfect, I just pity the fool that is married to you. <laughs> pity the fool, that brings me back. That's like the A-team, B.A. Baracus, back in the day with some gold chains. That's, that's good stuff, sorry, ADD kicked in. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus came and lived his perfect sinless life on your behalf. Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. Nails driven through his hands, through his feet, a crown of thorns on his skull, a sword driven through his side, hung naked on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven. Put in the ground three days later, hope looked like it had been lost. The enemy thought that he had won. But after those three days, something, something began to happen. And Jesus came barreling out of the tomb, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And when he did, when he did, I'm just telling you, when a person proves himself to be a grave robber, there's no doubt that he can be a mountain mover. And that's, that's who Jesus is on our behalf. And my goal for you right now is that if you have not already, is that you would put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And say, Lord, the best way I know how, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna turn to religion. Matter of fact, I'm gonna turn from religious. Jesus did not come to make you religious because Jesus did not come so that bad people would become good people. Jesus came so that dead people would become living people. And what some of us need to do is what I did on April the 11th of 1996, and you need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. So how do I do that? It's, it's very simple. Simple means it's not complicated, but it is definitely not easy. Easy means it's not hard. It's gonna be simple, not complicated, but it's not gonna be easy. Because what it requires is you being willing to throw up your hands and say, Lord, I'm gonna do it your way. I'm gonna come to you the way that you've asked me to come to you. And that is, listen, empty-handed. Say, Lord, the best way I know how, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. I put my life in your hands. I'm asking you, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, come into my life, change me, save me, make me brand new. I'm a sinner who was far from God, but now I have been washed clean by the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're willing to pray that prayer with me, it is what the Bible says, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So right now, with your head bowed and eyes closed at all of our campuses, if you would, if you're interested in praying that prayer with me today, just, it's not a magical formula, it's not a magical prayer, but if you're interested in, in giving your life to Jesus Christ, just pray this prayer with me as I pray it out loud. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner but I know that you died on the cross for my sin. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. You would come into my life and you would save me. The best way I know how, I turn from my past, I turn from my sin, and today, I turn to Jesus Christ alone. I'm asking you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing me. 
with your head still bowed and eyes still closed, listen, for those of you that just prayed this prayer, that's the most important decision that you could ever make. I'm celebrating with you right now, and in just a moment, I'm gonna give you a next step, but in this, in this moment, I wanna transition to everybody else that's in this house. Right where you are, I want you to think about what it is, what mountain it is that you're facing. Maybe you've been praying for days, maybe you've been praying for weeks, months, maybe even years. I believe that God can move the mountain. What faith step is it that God is asking you to take right here and right now? I believe that that step is gonna make itself available to you in your mind and it's gonna be asked of you to take today. What step do I need to take this July 4th weekend so that God can move the mountain in my life? God is the mountain mover. Lord, I am the faith walker. And today I'm asking you to move that mountain. God, do what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for this great church. Thank you for these great people. God, I pray that they will walk out of this room better than the way that they walked in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you... Um, if you prayed to receive Christ, or maybe, maybe you're a first-time guest, or you wanted to make a different decision, whatever the case may be, on this worship guide, bulletin, brochure, whatever this thing is, you received whenever you walked in the doors today, there's a perforated copy right here, and uh, I'd love for you to fill out your name and information, and down there at the bottom, if you just prayed to receive Christ, just check that box that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus in my life for the first time. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna tear that perforated copy off and on your way out at any of our campuses, you're gonna, as you're walking out the doors, you're gonna place it in the box. And let me tell you this, in case you're from the South, uh, in the South, sometimes when you turn in information on Tuesday or Wednesday night, there's gonna be 32 people that show up at your door with a pound cake. Uh, that's, that's not the way we're gonna do it around here. We just wanna email you some information. Uh, we'll email you a picture of a pound cake. That's about it. Uh, nobody's gonna show up at your house where you have to dive behind the couch naked or nothing like that. But um, nonetheless, if you would drop that card off on your way out. Also, our prayer team is gonna be here at all of our campuses whenever I dismiss you. If you have a prayer need, we'd love to be able to spend some time with you down here at the front. But it has been a joy and an honor to be able to spend some time with you here today. If God spoke to you, let's give him a hand. I hope, I hope you have an incredible 4th of July. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you back next Sunday.